we believe that you have to make data an inherent part of your creative process. Hi everyone. Thanks for tuning into Notes of Design to help support our mission spread knowledge. We have a very special guest on today's episode. Let's welcome Eva Deckers, who's director at Data Enabled Design at Philips Experience Center, where she leads a team of designers that are cutting edge of integrating design data and AI. Eva holds a PhD in the field of human-centered AI and translates her ideas into health technology context. She's passionate about using the power of design data and AI to make a difference in the health and well-being of people. In this episode Eva had shared great insights on data enabled design and how could data be used as a creative material. We then discussed on what are the different frameworks for data enabled design and how could we take the aid of data to design sustainable and ethical product. Later towards the end we had discussed on how could individuals implement and scale this data enabled design model across their organization where data drives all the major design decisions. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode and on every Friday we release new episodes with different creative leaders from around the world to help you better understand different concepts related to design. So don't forget to tune in into Notes of Design every Friday. With that being said, happy designing everyone. Hi, Eva. Welcome to Notes of Design. It's a pleasure hosting you today on our show. Hello. Hi. It's a great honor to be here. Seeing you have been uh, very popular with your uh, podcast. I'm very excited to join you today. Thank you so much, Eva. So, Eva, how was your day so far? It's still early here uh, in Eindhoven, the Netherlands, where uh, where I am. So, uh, yeah, it's actually a great start of my day to uh, to talk about one of my favorite things. So, if you could give a brief about yourself to our audience out there. Yeah. So. Um, my name is Eva Decker, and I'm the design director for data-enabled design at Philips Experience Design. Philips is a health technology company. We're focusing on improving people's lives from personal health into like more healthcare health, hardcore healthcare diagnosis and treatment. And about myself, before I joined Philips, I actually started off in academics. So I studied industrial design, actually also in Eindhoven. And after my studies, I continued my graduation project, my master graduation project into a PhD trajectory. And I investigated something that I would now, in hindsight, summarize as investigating a human perspective on developing artificial intelligence. In my years at Philips, I uh, was able to move from a more strategic role, design strategy role, into leading a team of data designers building on this, uh, yeah, this academic background uh, that was around data and AI already. Thank you so much, Eva. So what was your journey into design? How did you found your call towards design? And what are your tips to the beginners on how to start? Yeah, so I, when I wasn't actually in high school, even, right? so I, I was, I like to be creative. I, as a child, I would, you know, make many things. Like I would invent my own board games and I would um, draw clothing and so forth. But on the other hand, I also pretty good at my mathematics uh, uh, and so forth. So it was, yeah, what should I do? More creative. And then actually one of my mentors, he said, I found something for you. Actually, in Eindhoven, the university has a new study. It's called Industrial Design. And it's not a classic design study as you were used to, like more in the product design or um, graphic or anything like that. 
What they do is far more on embedded systems. It's more about changing, um, thinking about social structures. It's about intelligence. It's about intelligent systems, actually. And thinking about interaction, designing for interaction between humans, between products and humans. So that is, uh, yeah, it was a nice match of, of, of the more technical side and my creative side and I got it was great studies it was actually very open curricular so it was all this competence-based learning and self-directed learning which suits me very well and I yeah I developed in that for my different projects I chose more the research side so I like to learn I like to dig deeper on things build the solid arguments for your uh, design. And when I did my master, my final master project, I was investigating this human perspective to artificial intelligence. How could you make our versatile human capabilities like social, emotional, perceptive qualities that we make us so human? How could you bring them into design of a product or an artifact or system? So that is what I investigated. And yeah, I then kind of led into uh, this I had like former colleagues from the university that worked at Philips. So I, I then uh, rolled into a more strategic role in, uh, uh, in Philips where I was using kind of my theoretical and synthesizing power combined to think about how do we deal with, with, with design strategy. So I did that for a while. And as part of that design strategy, I also thought about what is the next step for design? Right. So what is design going to look like in the future? And that's when we started out with design research, also in collaboration with the state university on making data part of the design process and understand how could we design for truly meaningful solutions encompassing data and AI. So that's uh, in 2017, we actually formalized that into a team. People in Eindhoven starting to work on a bit of data visualization, some UX research um, and data of UX research enabled by data, uh, data visualization, prototyping. And we started there. And this year, we will grow this into a, I think we will hit 25 later this uh, this year still globally. So it's a growing capability. I'm very proud of that. Thank you so much, Emma. So what are your tips to the beginners on how to start their journey into design and research? Yeah. So to me, you know, when you study, get all the opportunity to learn as much as you can, right? So just remember that maybe when you're in it, it might not always seem like the most fun time, but that's how you it is, right? So as long as you have the opportunity to learn, take it, hold on to it and, and make most out of it and use it also to explore new things and to find out where is your passion. One of the things I always tell my students, I've, I've, I've coached a lot and I, I have many students also in the team um, and also to the people in my team, you know, it's not about the career in itself is not the goal. It's about you having fun and doing something you are good at. And while you do that, you just design your next step, right? You shape your next step. You use your design skills to also shape that. So that would be also when you start, don't focus too much on it has to be exactly this or exactly that. Find something that's fun. Find something that you're good at that combined makes a lot of uh, difference. And start, right? You're a designer. So start doing it. Uh, get your hands dirty and then find out what you like and don't like and give new direction to it. That's a wonderful advice, Eva. Thank you so much. So let's begin our episode today with data-enabled design. So what is data-enabled design and how could data be used as a creative material? So data-enabled design, as I already briefly mentioned to me, is about truly understanding how do we build solutions that are data and AI enabled 
that are truly relevant and truly meaningful, right? And I used this anecdote before in, the, in earlier presentations, but I think it's powerful. So I had a professor um, at the university, his name is Case Overbaker. He, he, um, he passed away a few years ago. And I remember something very vividly that he would say to us, to me and my uh, fellow students. He would say or ask us, you know, when they would dig us up like 500 or 1,000 years from now, and they would dig up like a keyboard, you know, what would they think what kind of creatures we would be? And he would say, right, they would think we are creatures with 26 fingers, right? Because how on earth would we operate like for us basic utensil like a keyboard, right? And um, I think that that's that same anecdote still holds when it comes to data and AI. Because still, although as designers, we, we made it to management teams, we landed design thinking into bigger organizations, at least that goes to Philip. We are embedded in development teams, working on the UX and the UI and the visual details. We're going to, I'm worried still a bit that this thing called data and especially artificial intelligence is going to make its way into this world. Again, because it's tech possible from a technology angle. So that is why we, in, yeah, we are developing our design capability around data and AI. So we truly understand what is the meaning of it for people and how do you design for that then? And to be able to do that, we believe that you have to make data an inherent part of your creative process. So I always tell the people in my team, if you are trained as a product designer, like not a hardware product designer, you learn to sketch on paper, right? And while you sketch, you design which is an awesome skill that I don't hold. So you can really like evolve your design while you sketch or you do it in digital, right? You do it in, in, in whatever 3D modeling program you would have. But while you, you master that program and you create your product. For the data designer, you have to, you know, be able to work with data in that manner and use it to shape your product, use it in your creative process, explore with it and bring it um, into the decision-making process. And we do that by data storytelling, by having UX research powered by data, exploring ways to actually bring uh, AI to people in different ways. Yeah, so that is, uh, for me, what data-enabled design is uh, about. It's about making data-enabled propositions truly meaningful and using data in the creative process to get there. Thanks, Eva. So are there any different frameworks for this data-enabled design that you could share with us? Yeah, so we um, we actually started developing this and also in a more research and innovation context. So what we try to do is um, develop an approach or a method and also have different tools that could, uh, could help you. And what we normally say is that roughly there are a few steps you could take. The first one is what we coined the contextual step. And that is all about understanding the situation. And that is something we designers do, right? And especially design researchers or UX researchers, that's what, 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 that's what your life is. But we then try to think, how could we make the insights far more continuous? And how could we get more up close with our users than what we can do in interviews or observations? So can we combine these qualitative research methods, more quantitative, um, also subjective ways of getting data from their homes or from the care journey, like the healthcare journey they are in? And we do that in, uh, in, in different ways. So we would bring different types of trackers into their homes uh, into their lives to see what are their routines. So maybe maybe it would be good I give a bit of an example of that. So we would be 
um, working on patients that actually have uh, overweight and they went through a weight loss surgery. So that is kind of the, the, the last step to really like help you to reduce your weight. Still, this goes with a significant lifestyle change. If you don't still change your lifestyle, then, you know, also that uh, weight loss surgery or that stomach reduction will not help you in the long run. So we really want to understand what are the difficulties for these people in this care pathway. So we set out, we put different sensors into their homes. We track like, when are they using the TV? Are they eating at the table? When are they cooking? When are they going into their cabinet for taking a snack? Um, people were telling us I'm bored or I have difficulties uh, keeping up my routine, cycling, walking, the dog. So we have, we make sure we have a, a whole set of sensors that can actually help us to understand what goes on. Not because we are so keen on following someone the whole day, but it will help us to understand what really matters to someone. And as a result, as an anecdote, we, for example, saw that there was this family who had um, two frying pans, which if you are trying to lose weight, of course, keeping uh, deep fried food is uh, not really helpful necessarily. And they know this, these people. They have two teenage uh, children. And they say like, yeah, we'll use the uh, frying pan once a week to eat French fries. Many Dutch families do. But it appeared they were doing it far more often, like maybe every day, even some weeks. So we presented that back. And we find out that it's not about they not understanding what they should eat, but that family not reaching consensus about what they all like. They just didn't like the same thing. And they had a hard time actually deciding what to eat and what to cook. So throwing more dietary advice at these people was not helpful. Helping them in reaching consensus about what to eat and learning to acquire new tastes or new, you know, appreciate new flavors, that's what would be helpful. And that's what we do in this first contextual step. Get a bigger, better picture of what is really the problems, the individual problems of people. And could we then also build solutions to act upon that? And then in the second step, we look at the informed step. What we try to do there is maybe formalize getting these insights in a bit more automated way. So it's not us, you know, the designer or design researcher looking at the people, but really try to see if a system could understand the person better and then make design interventions, design action to actually react to that. For in another project, we, for example, we were looking more at the personal health domain and, and something that was called taking care of yourself. And there we saw that we could actually help people changing their brushing routine, making sure they brush two times a day for two uh, minutes, starting to use your uh, um, tongue cleaning device. Not because we told them you should brush two times a day. No, because we try to understand what was keeping them from brushing two times uh, a day. So not only understanding how people do something, but also why they do something. And then coming with something that is actually helpful. And like from understanding the context to making a design decision. And preferably, we're going to a world in which we can make that understanding of the user part of our solution. So that's uh, how can we make continuous insight and more real-time design action part of our design practice. Thank you, Eva. So how could we take aid of data to design sustainable and ethical products? Yeah, so I think ethics is, of course, a very important topic if you talk about data. And of course, when I just talk about data-enabled design, 
Uh, and the project that we do, especially in the healthcare context, you can imagine, I get many, many questions about the ethical considerations or regulatory considerations. So the first thing I always, so I'll do that now as well, I always mention is we invested heavily in developing this skill of really building sound studies, doing design research in the way, you know, within all the regulatory and privacy boundaries and opportunities, if you wish, uh, that are there. So we, we we really have our designers, especially our UX researchers, make a step in understanding how do we even move into clinical studies, uh, which, you know, it's not typical for designers to actually run full-blown clinical studies. So we made that step and we invested in that, teamed up with different capabilities within. I mean, Philips is a big company, so you can do that. Um, yeah, really understanding how can we build the right study protocols and how can we build all the security uh, and so forth. What is always most important is that it's about the value that data will bring. So we are never just interested in gathering the data and then, you know, for our own benefit, doing something with it. For us, it's always a starting point that we are improving people's lives. Maybe individually with personalized solutions in the home or in the care journey, but also maybe on more population levels where we could really understand um, what is the care that people need in certain areas. And could we provide better access to care or make care more affordable by understanding what are the needs uh, for individuals, but also communities? So yeah, we are definitely moving. We're not there yet, but we are on a, on a track of saying, okay, how could we at this move, how could we move to making our solutions more connected? So you get an instant benefit maybe in that product or in that, that system or that service or solution. Second, how can we make it really more, how could we make care, healthcare, far more personalized and precise based on your personal data and really thinking, what do you need? Care when it matters, how it matters. And then three, how could we make care that is more based on the value that we bring rather than, you know, the uh, cure that there is for certain disease? How could we scale that up? So how could we really address, how do we deliver healthcare at large to make it more accessible and more affordable for more people? Thank you, Eva. So if individuals want to implement and scale this model of data-enabled design across their organization, where should they start with? And what are the major decisions that they have to take? Yeah, so this is a very good question, right? And of course, data-enabled design is, you know, our practice is not the only practice that you see in this world. So of course, you have to realize we are from nature, a more, a really a technology company, but a hardware technology company and electronic uh, company, right? So it's it's we are there for uh, I'm sure over 100 years. So Philips is a big company and it has a history. So for us, also being the healthcare part, we we really have to think about how what can we actually gather in data, what is within which lines. Really think about the burden on people. So and it's often like also on life and that or really like severe situations. So I would say I cannot really easily you know, test the hell, a B test the hell out of people, right? That's just not possible. But that doesn't mean that's not practice you could have in different areas, right? So really understanding if you have a digital product and and probably many of you are already doing that, you know, making sure that you understand what people do it uh, on your in your product or on your solution. Always combine it with why they do it. And to me, the trick is, and I think you can do this as large, a very small scale and a very big scale. See if you can get both quantitative 
and qualitative data and bring that together. So get sensor data or logging data from your app or whatever, your product, but combine it with the tools you have as observation and diaries through this study is are making journeys and support. Bring that together. And there is where you will find new insights and it will tell you moving forward better, how could data actually support your product and make it better? So that would be one thing to think about. So can I have quantitative and qualitative data? And can I meaningfully meaningfully bring it together to annotate what the quantitative data actually means for individuals or groups? So that is something you can all do. To make it very practical, find yourself a friend in your you know, more technical department, find yourself a developer or a data analyst or a data scientist, whatever company you are in, that, you know, likes on a Friday afternoon actually to uh, dive in with you into some exploring, right? Because most of us, of course, in my team, I have a few designers. I actually also have a few, I have a computer scientist, a data scientist, right? So we have quite some technical skills in the team. Um, I also appreciate that not everyone is going to build 25 people you know, sizable data design team. So I would say where you start, find yourself a buddy on the technology side and see someone who actually finds it interesting to learn more about what people actually really do with your product and team up, right? See if he he or she could help you with getting more quantitative data while you will, you know, do your best to put out an extra questionnaire or uh, doing an interview or an observation as you would probably do for your design already at the moment. So that were, that would be two tips I would say that that anyone could, you know, maybe try, right? Get yourself this body on the technology development side or the data anal- and, uh, analytics side. And second, make sure that you combine qualitative and quantitative data and see what you can learn from that. So now coming to the most important question that we got from a lot of our listeners, what's your opinion on future of design, which is driven by AI? Yeah, so then different parts of that, right? So on the one hand, you have kind of UX for AI. So imagine, right, You there is like an AI solution that someone has to interact with, like some more technical driven solution maybe that you then, like someone has to interact with. I can give you an example of that. Um, for example, we work a lot on radiology. So it's about when someone goes into an MR or CT scanner, right? It, like, very simply said, making a picture of the body, inside of the body. And you can do a lot with AI in such a situation because you want to improve maybe the image quality so you can better detect uh, what is going on on the, uh, on the image. You could maybe make it faster. You could maybe also um, already read the image and tell the radiologist already what are maybe the abnormal, uh, abnormalities in this, uh, in this reading. But then someone has to interact with that. And someone has to trust, uh, has the appropriate trust in this AI, has to be clear what the AI can and cannot do. It has to be clear when is the AI actually on and when it's off, like maybe basic things. So that is one part, that's UX for AI. Um, And we all, as all UX designers, right, more and more will have to deal with that. Um, So that is something we, we, we have to develop practices for. It means that we have to understand what AI actually means, what it does, and we need to build ourselves some you know, more tactical muscles to really get that understanding. We have to get more AI stepping. The second thing is actually 
AI as a way to enrich your design palette, right? If, if you wish, both in your design process, but also in the ways you can have your users interact with your products. You know, the, the, the examples of that are the opportunities more in voice, in um, AR, VR, right? There are new interaction modalities and opportunities because of the developing technologies around data and AI. So that is something that we will have to get fullest of, right? So we have to really think what are the access points for people to different solutions because we will have more than just screens. We will have different ways. And it's been, you know, these things have been around for years, but I think like in the last two years, we'll clear that this will actually happen. That in different situations, we will have voice interaction. We will interact with VR and AR more and more. Um, so, so that is one thing. So really appreciate how you could use these technologies to your advantage to enrich the user experience. The second part of this equation is like, how, how could it be a tool in the end, right? To design it. Yeah, we see these developments, and I am not really an expert in that, but that will, of course, happen, that you will have the computational design so you can actually render, like, I don't know how many different structures on top of your products uh, that you would always uh, otherwise never been able to explore, even think of, or even within the time limits you have to actually draw. Um so there will be many, many opportunities. You also see these examples of AI actually designing stuff. Um, and that's, yeah, I, I think there will be this combination, as I also already mentioned earlier, as designers think about how that scale of understanding the user, understanding aesthetics in whatever form, can actually become part of your product through the opportunities of data and AI. So that we have like UX for AI, so building the UX, for artificial intelligence. Second, it's like understanding the opportunities for design when you have these technologies in terms of expression of your interaction as well as in the design process. And three, and that is also very exciting, and that's, this comes a bit back to my PhD research, you know, designers should be building AI. Can we as design community actually start building AI that incorporates, as I just already mentioned, this understanding of people into the solution? Um, can we house subjective, you know, social, emotional, perceptive qualities into the artificial intelligence. And I think designers should take a role there and we should really step up and, you know, become part of developing new artificial intelligence, uh, artificial, building new models that actually deal with more subjective things and to make it a bit more concrete. But we already try to do it. Like, for example, in customer experience, could we build models across different touch points, mathematical models across different touch points that would actually say something about the probability of good or bad CX, to put it a bit uh, simple. Um, but that's, yeah, that, that's why I need a data scientist and my team to actually also help me with, with this mathematical modeling. And uh, yeah, very happy to, to actually find someone who actually is also very willing and yeah, maybe even capable of emerging oneself in the creative context but also bringing this really this, 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 this knowledge and this expertise in uh, uh, data science. So that is like really building AI. So these are the three ways I see AI influencing like the design profession. And then of course, but that's maybe, maybe keep a design. We could of course talk a long time about how AI would actually change user experience and our world maybe over time, but maybe, you know, keep it to what it does, what it means for us designers. Thank you so much, Eva. So could you please share with us how does your typical day look like or any interesting stories? Yes, so 
I'm actually also now I'm I'm in the office, uh, so we're good. We, we, we're starting to return uh, into the office again a, a bit, which I really appreciate because that means that I get to see a bit more of my team in, in real life. So as I mentioned, like in career tips, you know, do something you have fun with and do it with people you like. All right. So that is important. And I cannot stress enough how how happy I am, how proud I am to to work with the team that, the team that we have uh, with all these talented uh, data designers with different um, backgrounds. What I normally do, I have I have a wide variety of uh, of tasks. I coach my people on the different projects. I set directions for these together with them. The reviews. I'm still involved quite in a bit of strategy work for our own organization and also for Philips in a bit broader context. So uh, seeing like how data and AI would play a role in our the bigger uh, Philips context and what are we aiming for. So I collaborate on that with quite some more people inside and, inside and outside of Philips. I pick up also on some strategic projects where we, you know, we have to find out where we, where are we going to go next and develop new concepts and new, uh, new directions. So you'll find me talking a lot to people, guiding our team to develop our capability coaching everyone to um, make the next step in data design. And at the moment, the most important thing is, is that we are formalizing our capability to be able to scale. Um, and I think that goes for everyone who knows something about, is you know, wanting to go to more to personalization, in our case, healthcare. We have to learn how to kind of make box things, right? Like modules or components that could influence an experience. And that is really a challenge to move from building nice design concepts to the elements that could support so many great concepts for individual people, or not even concepts, reality for different people out there in the world. So could we have data visualization aspects that we, you know, the, the guidelines and the technical implementations and the context in which you apply that, could we capture them in like wrap modules or components that are repeatable in different elements? So that is at the moment something that keeps me very busy. How could I make our data design practice more scalable, more repeatable? Yeah, make a move to impact and to really bring personalization of healthcare and precise medicine to our users, to people. Thank you so much, Eva. So we'll conclude the show by you recommending three favorite books of yours and also people who inspire you the most in this space. Something I have to admit, I'm not really that much of a book reader, so I read a lot. I follow different people on uh, LinkedIn. Actually, the, 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 there's a book that came out that I'm, um, I, I think is great, and it also is a, someone I know. And have a look at the following book, um, Things We Could Design for More Than Human-Centered World. It's from Ron Wackery. Um, he's also a professor in uh, my former university, and I think uh, it's very enjoyable. And it discusses also this, more than human world and how we would deal and interact uh, with that. I talked already a little bit about my late professor, Case Overbeke, and um, he still, he was really supportive and where I am still today. So that is someone, if you, if you have some time, you know, just go on Google and uh, find, a, uh, find a video of Case. I tell you, it will be really inspiring. Um, something that I also find 
maybe many people know him. It's Sir Ken Robertson. He also passed away already, but he talks about the future of education and about creativity. And these TED Talks of him, I find these truly, truly inspirational. And they talk a lot. They attest to how I think design education um, and also design practice should think about development and creativity. So, um, yeah, have a look at his TED Talks. I, I really, really, really find them uh, amazing. Thank you so much, Eva, for sharing all these wonderful insights and recommendations with us. We are looking forward to host you again in our upcoming episodes. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for inviting me. It was my pleasure.